Hello, and welcome to Deep Shit. It's me, Baron Vaughn, and I just stepped in a whole pile of sassy. Oh, Bill Hartman. I didn't think that I could actually miss a man I've never met, but I do miss me some Phil Hartman. Uh, anyway, welcome to the podcast, guys. It's good to have you back here. And uh, today's subject with guest Lisa Beth Johnson, one of the regulars, is jokes part two slash presentation. Uh, we did a podcast a couple of weeks ago in which we talked about jokes, and I felt that we uh, barely scratched the surface and didn't stay on topic. So we decided to revisit that subject, and in this podcast, we uh, barely scratched the surface and didn't stay on topic, which is why uh, it's also a presentation. I think there's a point where we kind of transition into talking about uh, the what we're putting out. Um, I start telling her a lot of what I think she's putting out, and she's talk, talking about what she wishes she was putting out, stuff like that. So I decided to call that a presentation. Um, and also, when we talk about jokes, there is something... I, I think that there's a difference between how we see it, because I, she kept talking about jokes like they were this thing to be found. And I kept talking about them as they're things that are all around us that we have to filter. And those are two methodologies to joke writing. Treasure hunting and zen. That's what I'll call it. The treasure hunters are like these archaeologists that are looking for bones and artifacts and you know pieces of jewelry that they um, have to go out into the world and sift through everything to find. And once they find that perfect thing, that to them is a joke, the perfect combination of words to elicit that response that we call laughter. And that's something that they search for, that they try to find and are constantly trying to find where's the joke, where's the joke. I, on the other hand, uh, and a lot of other comedians, have a bit more of a zen feel in that I believe everything around me can or can't be a joke. Well, everything around me can be a joke. It's just how I put forth the information that determines that. Like, anything can be a joke as long as I uh, present certain information in a certain rhythm and logic to make you laugh when I want you to laugh. And that's how I see it. Treasure hunting versus zen. Um, also, there's a couple announcements I have to make about this podcast. There's a couple of firsts. First, Lisa Beth Johnson is a fidgety bitch. And she makes a buttload of microphone noise. And I, I, I tried to curb it, but didn't do that good of a job. And I really couldn't uh, edit around it at all because it's on top of me talking at times. It's because I don't have micro st- microphone stands, which I do now have microphone stands. So that will never happen again. So I apologize for the constant microphone noise. Also, uh, we had a long conversation, which I have cut down. And uh, it was like a good... She came here and she had two cups of coffee that she drank. And she had to pee, so we took a break in the middle of this podcast. She had to pee. That's probably why she was a fidgety bitch. And uh, I decided to splice in a little scene from a movie called Punchline that I think thematically relates to this episode. Um, So that's another first. And I also would like to uh, offer a correction. Former guest Benari Poulton, last week's episode, uh, he said that the creators of Superman, Schuster and Siegel, were from Kansas. It's because we were talking about Clark Kent. We were talking about Clark Kent's upbringing in Kansas, which starts with a K, and also Cleveland starts with a K, and they are from Cleveland. So he wanted me to offer that correction to you. He wants you to know that he knows the creators of Superman are from Cleveland and not Kansas. 
Cleveland. Now he can sleep. All right, a couple of ATC plugs real quick. Uh, AllThingsComedy.com. Check that shizzle dizzles out. Um, also check out the comedy albums Revenge for the Holocaust by Ari Shafir and White Girls and Cornrows by Tom Segura. Both hilarious comics, and uh, I think you will very much enjoy their albums. Blah, 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 yakety schmackety. Did I ever describe what the joke diagram was in this podcast or the last one? I talk about it a lot. This mathematical diagram that this guy created that I read in a book that I still have. Um, I will tell it to you at the end of this podcast. That will be your reward <laughs> for listening to this whole thing. So thank you for listening to this much so far. And uh, enjoy the conversation with Lisa Beth. I very much did. And I think you will like it. All right. Shit. Shit's getting deep right now. I'm a broken Well, that's right, Christian of you, cunt. <laughs> uh, yeah, you jokingly called her that, but you meant it at oh, the I exact totally same time. No, yeah, and so did she. She was just like, huh. And this is another funny thing that I love. This is not jokes. This is just the way that we interact with each other humorously. And there's, a d there's that little divining line that's like, are you serious or are you joking? And how much of this is actually mean-spirited and how much of it do you... is You mean me and you or just people in general? People in general. Yeah. The worst defense, I think, is when someone says something mean and they say, I was just joking. I hate that. It's awful. See, and, okay, and that's a thing that I think that happens a lot. And I feel like we, I might have said this in the last podcast or on this podcast before, is that a lot of people don't understand... Because the only way that they know to joke is to be mean. The only way they know that they only know to, the only way that they self. know to joke is to like put someone else down to make someone the butt of a joke as opposed to make a joke, right? So they assume being a jokester is being an asshole. And when I say I'm a professional comedian, they're like, oh, you're a professional asshole. That's true, <laughs> but it doesn't mean I'm going to make fun of them. But I'm just saying that's the, that's the easiest way to get a laugh or make a joke is to make fun of someone to put somebody else down, right? But uh, you don't have to do that. And it takes 10 years, or not even 10, but like it takes a while, you know, to, to, to grow out of that. Yeah. Uh, I've, never, I've never found that, uh, in spite of everything that I've just said, I realize how hypocritical I'm sounding right now because I literally called this woman a cunt. All you did was throw back at her what she threw at you. Right. I think she was trying to be funny also in a See, way. See, but that's but the I thing. But I don't know. You don't know. But you that's why you investigated. That's why you clicked on her profile and you saw what she was about. Mm -hmm. But that could also be ironic. <laughs> right. That's the thing. See, that's what I'm saying. You have no tone. When but, it's just words on a when, on a screen, you have no idea how somebody means anything. But my point is this woman doesn't know me. She clicked on something that gave her a string of uh, a feed of, you know, tweets about whatever. Mm -hmm. She saw mine and it offended her on some level. Uh-huh. And she decided to reply to me. Yeah. There's, I don't know her. She's obviously not trying to be a comedian, although her profile picture was very funny. Just a drab, pixelated, middle-aged woman with a feathered butt cut. <laughs> but it's funny to you, at least. Oh, funny. Hide a fashion to her. Maybe. Oh, come on. North Texas is a little better than that. Well, I said to her, not Texas. All right. Um... But anyways, yeah. I, I mean, 
Yeah, go ahead. I think she was being intentionally mean to me. And I think I can divine that pretty well. Yeah. What I don't like and what I don't usually find funny Mm -hmm. is bullying humor. And whether whether that it takes form of racism or misogyny or even just someone being way too aggressive to someone who's very mildly heckling. Okay. I don't find that funny. I'm not going to... Mildly gonna, heckling in what sense? Well, I have seen comedians put down a heckler or someone who is talking. Yeah. And and this is only a couple times. And I, tol- I totally support, you know, putting not down... Talking at shows. Yeah, not talking at shows and putting people down. I have told people to shut up before repeatedly during mm-hmm. shows myself. Yeah. Um, but a couple times I've seen a comedian get inordinately, disproportionately yeah. aggressive with someone. Okay. To the point where it made me and everyone else kind of uncomfortable. Well, dealing with a heckler is always a tricky fucking situation. Right. And I, I, I approve and respect that. But I'm just saying, like, whatever form, uh, I think that that is kind of the same string of uh, sense of humor or behavior where you think things are funny because they're mean. They're mean towards someone and you can put them down and make yourself feel better. I I, I don't particularly like that. And the heckler... I don't want to stand on a chair and admonish someone for doing that personally, but I don't necessarily want to watch it either. You don't like abuse is what you're saying. Well, of course. But... I call that bullying. Well, I don't know. I mean... The, the 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 discrepancy here is how much is it or isn't it deserved, right? And you say you because you specified mildly heckling, right? You said you've seen people overreact. You've seen comedians overreact to someone mildly heckling. Is that what you're saying? Yes. Um, as a comedian, and it's hard to read when you're on the stage. Right. How loud someone is, what they're saying, plus you never know what mood. That comedian is in. Okay, okay, okay. I don't actually want to linger on this subject. No, no, no. I want to talk about it. I don't really, though. Because I don't want to give specifics to the thing that I'm talking about. Because I don't want to call anyone out. Well, I'm not going to... I'm not expecting you to. And I'd rather talk about bullying jokes. Well, but we are, in a sort of a way. Okay. I mean, because in the the course of stand-up, that is a thing that happens, is heckling. I have found... The, for me, it's really uh, – I have found a way to handle hecklers that isn't because I don't like putting people down either, especially because my act I don't think is mean. See, that's the other thing is how much – like it's easy to put a heckler down, but if it doesn't match who you are on stage, then the audience is not going to come with you for the rest of the show. You know, the Sklar Brothers had talked about this because they, they talked about the, – the, the, what they portray themselves as kind of like – uh, you know, uh, sensitive and kind of uh, um, dim-witted at times. And they talked about, like, putting down a heckler. And um, and they put him down so badly that they're like, the audience is not going to come with us when we ask them to, you know, believe that we don't know what we're doing or that, we, that we're, like, in a situation that we don't know how to react after they just saw us decimate someone. The audience is like, no, I don't buy that anymore. It would be like John Malkovich in the movie of Mice and Men as Lenny just being like acting like Lenny. It's Lenny, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And then just looking off and saying something like very 
intelligent, <laughs> quoting Shakespeare, and then going back to Penguin. and then the rabbits. Unless you know? he does, unless he doesn't know, unless that's the piece of Shakespeare that he repeats over and over no, again. But, but that's what you're asking the audience to do. Yeah, I mean, so it's just like I the way that I take the way that I approach it is that like you, just like the heckler doesn't know what the hell I've done that day, I don't know what they've done that day. I can't from a little piece of heckling, or especially if I don't even hear what they're saying. If I hear someone talking, I'll ask what they're talking about before right. I decimate them. No, because I, I the audience cool. does not know that it's not okay for them to be talking right now. Some people do and some people don't. Especially that's why some people say, and I think I said this in the last podcast, it, it, when you ask a rhetorical question, be ready for some answers. Right. You know, so it's like, oh, how's everyone doing today? Good. What the fuck? You can't just blow up at people because they just talked at you. They just answered the yeah. question that you yeah, asked. Yeah, yeah. So it's like I've had the situation where it's like someone mildly heckles. I ask them, what are they talking about? And then they shut up. Just just for me, just being like, what are you guys talking about? They had they just suddenly just like, oh, shit, I am talking. And they just shut up for the rest of the, the show. They realize they were being rude or inconsiderate, and they stop themselves. I don't have to stop them. Some people, I'll ask, what are you guys talking about? And then I'll find out that they were being shitty assholes. Then I prod them to bring out the assholeness. So that way the audience sees their assholes. My least favorite type of heckler is a female. They're all, yeah, okay. Uh, and a, the type of female who will talk during a show. Mm-hmm. And then when the comedian does exactly what you're talking about, mm-hmm. pretend that she's totally there with him. Uh, what, what do you mean? Be, like if he says, oh, what are you talking about? Oh, <laughs> and then starts to engage and then is quiet again. Right. And then two minutes later starts talking. Starts again. talking again. Right. That is my worst favorite kind of human female audience member collection of molecules that has ever existed. Well, it's weird that it's the belligerence that comes out of people when they're when they paid to see a show. I would rather get someone who's belligerent because they're not laughing than someone who's trying to manipulate the person on stage and continue to do their shitty bullshit. Well, see, and I, I think that uh, my gender generalization here is that female hecklers tend to be a little bit more oblivious to what's going on, and they're just talking. And then if you uh, bring attention to them, then they could become really, because they feel put on the spot, and then they get really angry. And male hecklers tend to just be unimpressed, disappointed. They want it to be about them. You know what I mean? Like, they're so arrogant that they don't, if they don't understand it, they don't understand how anyone could understand it. I think there are a lot of female hecklers who are like that too, though. They definitely want it to be about them. I think they're just people uh, no, who, I, I, who look at people on stage just talking and mm-hmm. think that they deserve to also be doing that. That's a possibility, yeah. I guess I'm just thinking about it from what I've seen, the majority of what I've seen. Is that it's like usually when women heckle, it's because they're not even talking to you. They're talking to their friends at the table. They're loud. They don't realize that they're loud. And then when you point it out, they're like, um, why don't you fucking go back over there? You know, <laughs> why don't you go back over there? Do your jokes. I want to ask you a question. Yeah. Can you envision a scenario where you would have, you know, the equivalent to yourself of like a Michael Richards moment? The equivalent not to myself? Not specifically what he did, but like that sort of. You know, I don't know. Well, look, I, I think that the Michael Rubber Richards the Michael Richards moment comes out of him believing his style is challenging. 
him believing that what he was doing is intentionally controversial and shocking. That he was trying to he was trying to be challenging. I think he failed at it because there was no punchlines. Right. Right. So when I look at that, I'm just like, well, he doesn't know what he's doing. That's what it is. That's what I saw. And I didn't think that, oh, you know, he's all this different stuff, but it's just kind of like, I, it would take a lot for me to go there. And I've been in front of audiences that just fucking hate me, and they just are just staring at me or have no idea what's happening. Everyone is, you know, disappointed. Are they usually the same type of person? Um, and I don't mean that, you know, I mean, like, is it a demographic? It just, all I can say is that they just seem stupid. Okay. Like, that they, they had an idea of that comedy is supposed to be this completely other thing than what I'm doing. Right. So, so they have a ideological problem with my existence <laughs> in general. Just like me. Yeah, just like you. And, <laughs> and there's no, there's, there's literally nothing I can do. So that, and, but I don't see it as like, oh, should I got to, it's like, oh, okay, th- these people don't enjoy me. I'm still going to talk for 40 minutes. Right. You know what I mean? And I'll get to that place where I'm like, what can I do? And I'll start, you know, fucking shucking and jiving some sort of equivalent of it where I'm trying to get them on my side. But but it's so stop and start. They will laugh for a minute and then it's like that minute never happened. They'll go like, I enjoyed that. And then they're back to zero. So you don't think that what Michael Richards did was some sort of like a rubber band snap where he just was like, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to take this. No. Like he was trying to be over the top so he could shut it down. What I saw was him trying to be over the top. Okay. And it got and he he failed at it. It got out of his control. That's why he just walked off the stage. Right, right. He didn't he didn't have a a breakdown. He was just like it was out of his control. He's like, "Oh shit, I opened up oops." It was just a big oops. That's mm-hmm. what I saw. Yeah. The problem with that though, and many people have said it and Chris Rock has said it a lot is that everyone's got cameras and shit and is tweeting about shit that they're seeing, but it's like, you know, I've heard every comedian has heard story after story of their favorite comedians of all time having an awful moment on stage multiple times. When you say having an awful moment, you mean being someone that their fans don't recognize. Well, it's probably it's usually before they had fans. It's usually when they were still starting out. And sometimes it is when they are already kind of famous and they're known. You know, I've heard stories of people spitting in people's faces of going into the audience and punching somebody in the face. Good Lord. Of throwing their drink on the audience. Of pissing on the audience. All sorts of shit. You know, and it's just folklore. And and then the inward, you know, just kind of like people breaking down and crying. You know, curling up in fetal position. Um, all sorts of shit. You, you, you always hear it. But it's not immortalized on YouTube forever. Crawled up in a fetal position. Many comedians have done such a thing. As a, as I'm going to col- do that next when time. I've, when I've done colleges, sometimes they, they, they tell you, can you not do these things? And they're so specific that you're like, someone just did that. It's not even just like, it's not even like, don't cuss. Don't, I have been asked, don't hit on girls from the stage. Don't get angry if they reject you. Don't curl up and crawl and cry in the fetal position. So specific that it's like, oh, we're not all going around doing that. That's just not the That's comedian. That's just Zach Galifianakis. Oh, hey. But, 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 I'm but, kidding. But, I know you're kidding. But that would be funny. I can see him doing that for a joke or for a laugh, rather. For for If it's a joke, yeah. Of course. But but he's always going somewhere with it. That's exactly. the thing. I know. You I know. know. Um, 
And that's the reality that he sets up is that in some kind of anything can happen. It's irreverent. You know what I mean? <laughs> okay, calm down. Anyway, let's let's talk about jokey jokes. Let's talk about in jokes, specific. So, because we've already talked for like a really long time. Yeah. Th- well, we can go way longer and then just cut it. Yeah, I know. It's my podcast. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. It's how things, your podcast. I know how things work. Uh, I don't know about that. Uh, I will punch you in the face. I will punch you in the other face. Uh, that isn't. That's not a thing. You have a face. I have a face. Okay. I don't know what's happening right now. Anyway, so wait. Can I pee? Are you serious right now? I have to pee. You're going to go pee in the middle of the podcast? What am I supposed to do? That's why you shouldn't have come over with two damn cups of coffee. You are the one who would not drink the other cup of coffee. Oh my God, drink that coffee. Okay, we're going to take a fucking break right now. Elisabeth goes and pees. Be right back. Uh, My my name is, uh, well, you know who I am. (laughs) Wow. Um... Anyone here from, uh, well, don't you hate it when, when, when comics uh, do that? At least they don't know what else to say. <clears throat> Anyone from out of town? Here you go. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Great. But you, sir, where, where are you from? Green Bay, Wisconsin. There's nothing funny about that. Uh, uh, what are you doing uh, while you're here in town? You having fun? Until now. <laughs> <laughs> And uh, that's what this guy's all right. Is that uh, your wife with you, sir? My daughter. <laughs> Whoa, that's not going to work. I was going to ask if we had any naked pictures of her. That won't work now. No, it's not going to work. No, that won't work. I, uh, I have some people in the audience. I'm not gonna kid around with you people. This is a this is a heavy night. This is a real heavy night. I thought I was gonna get discovered tonight. And that is exactly what happened. <laughs> I did. <laughs> so did you look at that book whatever. that I gave you? Yeah. Um, okay. You wanna go there? What yeah, I wanna oh, go. Oh, you there. wanna go there? Well, okay, look, it's just that like what last time we talked about this. I had forgotten exactly what the hell was happening in that book, but I have looked at it since and I showed it to you mm-hmm. and it, it's the most technical. Which book? The step to step guide to stand up comedy. No. With the diagram, I showed you the joke diagram. You did. I have not read that yet. No. Okay. I'm I didn't think you had read that. You're reading. Uh, here's the kicker. Here's a kicker. And uh, what was the other one that I, I gave you? I finished the other one. Then in the art of. Uh, oh, right. Comedy. Jay Sankey's book. Yeah. Um, he talks about writing jokes in that, you know, and many comedians have talked about writing jokes and it's been ta- it's been called set up punchline, um, expectation, surprise, tension, release. But those terms are kind of meaningless if you don't. It's almost like saying, oh, well, to write a movie, you have to have a story. Right. <laughs> and a story has a beginning, middle and an end. Yeah. But that's not really specific it's enough. It's one of those things that means nothing until you've done it. Until you've done it. And the art of stand-up is trial and error for decades, (laughs) you know, before you become good at it. Um, And then joke writing is the exact same thing. I mean, just just if you're a writer of jokes in specific and not necessarily doing stand-up, it's trial and error. It's playing with words, combinations of words, what makes – what is 
the thing, how can I do this sentence that's going to make what I want to come out? You know, you know Neil Simon, right? The playwright? Yeah. And uh, TV <laughs> yeah. and movie writer. You know, there's that old legend that he used to, he would um, agonize for months about where to put a comma or a semicolon in a sentence because he was obsessed with the rhythm. As the, a playwright, I would imagine so because his words are going to be spoken aloud. But he also was a vaudevillian. You know, he wrote all that. Will so, you he say wrote, that word he again? wrote vaudevillian. Okay. Why? Did I, thought I say you had it incorrectly? An extra syllable in there. No. Vaudevillian. Vaudevillian. <laughs> um, what was it that I was, I was flipping the channels the other day and the Sunshine Boys is on? Remember that movie? Slash play? Walter Matthau and George Burns. Yes. It's about uh, an old vaudeville duo reuniting for a TV special, but they hate each other. And the sketch that they were doing, because I, I turned it on and I, I, I saw a little bit of the sketch. It's hilarious because it's all about the rhythm and it's all about the jokes, but it's that, it's that old style. But the scenes are so long. It's a really long scene of just like, bam, bam. Joke, joke, gag, gag, gag. Lots of puns, lots of word plays, lots of uh, double meanings and entendres and stuff like that. It, it, and it was extremely clever to Neil Simon. But it's like that was the – that's a different era. Now we want to do all of that in a sentence. You know, it's just more and more succinct. We want it faster, bigger, faster, stronger, go. Bigger explosion, more violence in every single joke in the world. <laughs> every joke has to have a bigger explosion and more violence. Uh, yeah, as – that happens to me as a writer, and oh, wow! Mm. You know, sometimes coffee will do that to me. What? Crash you? Yeah, I've already I've gone three sentences past what I was just trying to say in my head, and my mouth was on the third word. Okay, let's try it again. <laughs> Repeat, Lisa. Beat. I've been told before that uh, my style of writing, mm-hmm. my style of writing humor. Uh, can be a little meandering, and I think some of that is greenery, my greenness mm-hmm. of doing it. But also, I like that. But I'm so jealous when I read someone who can write a comedic essay where it's every sentence is just, you know, jam packed, filled it's with things that are funny, and not the dense, same, not the it. same type of humor, like different uh, types. It's hard to explain, but you know, different types of jokes in each sentence. I right. So jealous. I want to get there. Well, the meandering. But then at the same time, I still enjoy my sort of. Let's take a long walk to. It might, a but funny you might premise. grow out of that. I might. That's true. Um, and I do have to say that is a big green thing. Yeah. Basically, what, what basically the uh, the old saying is your setups are too long. That's an old saying. Yeah. Because I heard that last week. <laughs> I'm kidding. It's just it's one of hey it's one of those sayings that I mean it's just one of the things your setups are too long. It takes a long time to plant the information you feel you need, you know, the, the information you feel is necessary to make your punchline make sense. Right. But there's always ways to shorten that. Or, as I always say, add a couple appetizers before you get to the main course of the big punch. Like when I listen back to a set and I'm just talking and talking, I'm hearing all these places where it's like there could be something there, there could be something there, and then I just – I tweak it to like, okay, there needs to be a laugh right there, right there, right there, right there. I pick the spots and some, and then I'll put them in there and then I try it out. And if it doesn't feel right rhythmically, I switch shit around and take it out again, mm-hmm. et cetera, et cetera. But there is this, uh, a lot of times a green um, habit or what you're doing possibly, and feel free to disagree. I just like looking at your face in the anticipation. I was like, what's he going to say? He's going to say this on the, he's going to say it on the internet. Do I want to hear it? 
Um, if it's on the internet, it's true. Um, which is that sometimes there's a pleasure in the not getting to the point. I there is a there is a there is. You think it's funny to not thread, say what it is that you actually. Contrarianness in me that enjoys that, but I think um, I think more of it is me learning how to parse down sentences to get the most bang for the buck. Bang, and the buck. buck. So the buck stops here. Here is a here is this is that actually Take leads that me out. to an interesting question because whenever the most annoying question I think. Um, a comedian can be asked, or at least me, what I feel is an annoying question is, how would you describe your comedy? I hate that question because I don't know. Some people have very specific ideas of what they feel they need to be. And if they say, Reverend, I want to punch him in the face. Hey, I I can only repeat what I've been told. Right, right. And that's what I and I'll, that's what I'll say. I say, well, I've been told because I I'm inside of it, so I have certain blind spots. I know where my mind goes, but that's just where my mind goes. But I don't know how it looks outside of myself. I can only know to a certain extent, and that usually is the feedback of laughter or people being like, "Oh, I like that because this is about." So when sometimes I am told. I like that bit because of this, this, and this, but that's and that's exactly what I was aiming for. Then I'm like, oh, thank God, I'm on the right track, right? But it's like someone saying, "Describe what you look like," or "What do you think you look like?" Ex- basically, and I'm like, "Well, I'm, I look like a, I've got I'm real, you know, got long limbs and weird angles." And then someone else is like, "No, that's not what you look like." And I'm like, "Well, that's what I think I look like." <laughs> I mean, I I, I only. I have funhouse mirrors in my place, but still, <laughs> but still, I mean, rah, 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 rah. I have funhouse mirrors in my mind. Uh oh, the funhouse mirrors of your mind's eye. Um, <laughs> so no, it's but, like, but that's the same thing. You live in your skin. You live in your brain. You you can't go outside of your brain and look at it and tell other people what it is. Um, a teacher once said to me, or not a teacher, actually, it was a improv teacher, but in a book I read. <laughs> He said, um, although I did take this, I did take this to a teacher that was teaching me that had studied with that guy because I had read that and I thought it was fucking brilliant. And I took that to her and she said, well, I don't really like that because of this, this and this. What is it? He said, be up in your improv, be obvious, always be obvious. And he says, and it will always serve you because your obviousness is never the same as someone else's. So what's obvious to you and seems predictable to you might be totally profound and brilliant to a completely different person. You don't know. Be obvious, see what happens, and then make a choice from there, right? I think that's good advice on some levels. Then when I took it to the teacher, she said, well, I don't really like that that much because people tend to get defensive of their obviousness. And they could be like, well, that's my obviousness. If you don't get it, it's your problem. Which I also see. When she says people, she means performers. Performers, or, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. And I see that aspect, but I, I wouldn't do it that way. Because I'm not going to be like, well, if you don't get it, you don't get it. It's like, I want people to get it. Let's see, that, that's misinterpreting that comment, I think. And I think that's the danger of that comment. Is what this person is saying is that you can't assume that that other people can read your mind. Right. That's what that person is saying. Yeah. They're not saying that you should do what... 
everything that becomes that comes immediately to you and then if other people don't get it they are idiots yes but but people can miss that was her her sensitivity to that statement is is the misinterpretation of it is that saying that people can be like oh i should be obvious so everything i think of that's obvious should be brilliant and if people don't get it they're dumb Right. That's not what he's saying. But she's saying she knows that's not what he's saying. Right. But, but people would interpret that way. But people will interpret it that way. Based on, I'm assuming, like a very long standing experience of of teaching it and, and, yeah. and improvising and watching and working with. Work. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that's how assholes think, by the way. Well, it's look, you're putting yourself out there in improv and stand up and sketch. You are putting yourself out there. It's an extremely vulnerable thing to say this is funny in front of strangers that will immediately let you know if it is or isn't. Right. Right? So that's what any, being a stand-up in itself is already vulnerable. And of course, people are obsessed with, well, how can I be get more vulnerable, more vulnerable, and like, you know, expose themselves and expose who Yourself they are. Yourself included. Yeah, exactly. But doing it in itself is already hard. Just getting up there and being like, I profess this to be funny. And people go like, mm, no. And then you move on to the next thing. And, it it can be very it can of course be very disheartening, especially if you've been doing it as long as I've been doing it, which is only you know ten almost eleven years. But I still I'm always you know I get nervous and I don't get nervous because there's just, there's literally the moment before every show I do not want to do the show. Right. I look at the audience and hand pick people I believe are going to hate me. <laughs> but once I get on stage and I get the first laugh, I I'm fine. Right. But then. If I don't, or if I'm struggling the entire time, then the standard is, well, did I do what I wanted to do? Because sometimes I will resort. I will shuck and jive, you know, and start trying to get them to laugh by any means necessary, which is cheap. And I feel it's cheap. And then I feel cheap after it, regardless of if I succeeded or didn't. If I did, if I tap danced and they clapped, I feel like an asshole. And if I tap danced and they didn't clap, I feel like an asshole. But if I stay steadfast to exactly what I want to talk about and the way that I want to talk about it, then I'm like, well, then they just weren't with me. And that's fine. You know what I mean? I can live with the bomb. I can't live with weird. You can't live with weird. I can't live with I couldn't I couldn't read them. Like if I'm just I'll, oh, I'll, them I'll being pour weird. over okay. like, God, well, OK, that worked, but that didn't work and this worked and that didn't work. And they just they just never were with me the entire time. And they were always in patches of laughter, but never on on moss. You can't live with feeling like you compromised yourself just to get their a mediocre, approval. tepid response. Yeah, exactly. But that's what I'm going on stage to do in the first place is get their approval. But then if I'm really self conscious and feel desperate, then it's like it's the difference between I'm desperate for their approval or like I know that you're gonna. I'm confident you'll approve of this. Is it approval? Is it? Would it make any difference? And this is coming from someone green, so I don't know. Mm-hmm. Would it make a difference if instead of, or do you maybe even think of it as approval before you go on stage, or do you think, I want to entertain the shit out of these people? I don't even know, honestly. It's like, I, it's only when I'm in the middle of a set that I feel like I know what I'm doing. Any other time, I feel like I have no clue what's happening. Like when I'm coming up with jokes... Right before I go on, the moment I'm done, I'm like, I don't know what the hell is going on here. But when I'm in the zone, then I'm like, wait a minute. I know what's happening. I know what's going on. I'm writing it. It's a 
the immediate back and forth with the audience. But sometimes that's totally off. But I I don't know. I, I feel like I'm not I feel like I accept the unknown the moment before I go on that this might go well, might go wrong, might go horribly wrongly. Does that answer your question? Not really. Um, Rephrase your question. Okay. Do you... I turned it off. Oh, okay. Do you feel like right before you go on stage, your your purpose up there is more for you to get approval from an audience or to entertain them? And do you think if you thought about it, you think it makes it, do you think it makes a difference if you think about it more specifically either way? I go up there to enter. I definitely, out of, if those are the two options, I'm, I'm, I'm an entertainer. I'm sure there are more options, but just. Yeah, but those, I guess those aren't the first two I would go to, even though I was just talking about approval for all that time. But I feel like I am going up there to entertain them. Um, it depends what the context of the show is. If I'm on the road and people have paid money, then I feel I have a job to do. I want to have fun doing it, and I want to, I get to create and have ultimate control of how it looks, how my act looks, and what it is I'm talking about. So if I feel like I am relinquishing that control to just get the laugh, to entertain them, then I feel cheap. But if I know that I'm going to talk about these things that I have built, that I have already tested and tried, and tried to get as much out as I, of it as I can, then... I should be a, I should be fine. So, but I'm feeling like I, I I'm into entertaining. The synthesis of that answer is that you, first and foremost, you want to entertain them, but also you want to entertain them with the worldview that you very specifically have. Yes, which you know whether you like it or not requires them on some level approving of you. Yes, 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 and that that that's very true, and that's what I struggle with because of who I am. Um, is who that are you? I, I'm a person that I think that I don't I don't feel like I easily fit into a box. It's it's I think it's hard to get me not even just as an entertainer, just as a fucking person. But that is the most predictable fucking thing I could possibly say. <laughs> what? A comedian that thinks no one gets him? Get out. <laughs> but it's like I, I feel like my act isn't it's not specifically this, it's not specifically that. It's not specifically this. So it's like it's hard to, to, to quantify and say my act is this, and this is the kind of comedian I am. I'm this. I'm these two things, the end, which a lot of comedians can do that. They're very conscious of it. The moment they start doing comedy is thinking of how to sell themselves, how to, how to quantify themselves. I have never come at it that way. I've always come at it from I'm going to talk about what I think is interesting all the time, it, regardless of how – and, you know, and it's like, and a lot of times I've, I've written so many things that no one gets at all, and I just stop doing them. I like it, but it's like obviously people don't care for it, so I'm just going to put this over here on the shelf forever. You know, perform it to, for yourself in the mirror when you get out of the shower. But there are certain shows, like a lot of like a lot of the shows that I do around Los Angeles. You know, when the audience they they want to see weirder shit because there's there, some people, some audiences specifically want to see shit that they haven't seen. They specifically want to see process. Especially when you perform a lot in that town. Yeah, exactly. So it's like, I can do my tight blah, blah, blah act that I know will work. And but some of those rooms, it doesn't work because it's like, well, this is, 
ready-made. This is already shit that works. Why is he talking about this? I want to. They, they want to see the meandering. They I want, want to see. I want an it. IKEA dresser. I want to look through Craigslist and find an old one and then refurbish <laughs> it. One with personality that I can sand down and paint and shit like that. Yeah. So well, anyway, I wanted to get back to this this, this question. I want to get okay. You and then me. What? No, you first because I'm going to change the topic to something from earlier. But if you still have something on this topic to say, go ahead. It's not about this topic. I was going to go to the movie that we. That what my required viewing prior to this podcast. Which one? Uh, Jiro dreams of sushi. <laughs> Ooh, Jiro. Well, we'll come back to that. Here's what I was going to ask you because I Jira went on this dreams. before I went on this tangent. Jira. Um, was what? Okay, calm down. I don't what, know. You're saying it into the microphone, so. I I know I know that. I, I honestly, because you're far enough away from me, I won't know what you're saying until I listen back to. I'm this. saying Shira dreams of sushi. Okay, Shira doesn't dream of sushi. I know, but it's funny. In Shira my head. dreams of destroying Hordak. <laughs> Did I ever tell you a story? Very brief. Uh oh. I'm scared. Um, when I was a little girl, my mother bought me a Shira doll for Christmas. Oh really? And I cried and I cried and I cried because I wanted a He-Man and not a She-Ra. Mm, she wanted to show you that there was positive female role models. I I think I don't know that that's true. I think she was like, well, this is the girl thing. Mm-hmm, maybe. And I was like, I want to touch the muscles. Uh-oh, that's the girl thing, yeah. But I want to touch that anatomically correct He-Man. With a pretty little blonde page with boy. With his blonde page boy. And his little bulge in his pants. Oh, good God. I'm um, aware of any of that. I was going to say, like, w- 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 when you, because that's what I was trying to get towards, is when I say, like, what do you think your comedy is? What have you heard people describe your comedy ha- as yeah 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 it's like looking at an overgrown field people have said this to you no but this is what i'm saying that question posed to me is okay it's looking at an overgrown field and then looking at someone saying oh how did you design that field they wouldn't say how did you design that field i'm asking what if people told you what about you, what, this field? Or like, describe how that field no, has been what, manicured. How they would other be people, like, it's not. It's overgrown with shit. It's not. How have other people described this field is what I'm saying. Hey, when other people came over here and looked at this field, what did they say? Crest is too long. Jesus Christ. The crest? The grass. Oh, the grass. Okay. The crest. What's a crest? I don't know. That's why I asked a question that said, "What's the crest?" Um. The crest yeah. is the pra- There's a crazy press. It's when the press shows up, but they're crazy. It's the crest. <laughs> What's that family crest? It's a way of brushing your teeth. Uh, you know, I think the word that I get most often. Hmm. It's not even witty. It's just wit. <laughs> and what do you think that means? That I You seem kind of disgusted with it. Or disappointed. I'm disgusted that I have to say this out loud. Okay. I like to be clever, so it's kind of stupid for me right now to pretend like having people tell me that they think that I'm witty is offensive not offensive but like i'm trying to my modesty my my fake modesty is so people say oh you got a lot of wit yeah that's very witty yeah but that's it 
Nobody says, oh, it's absurd, or it's meandering, or it's a lot of... Meandering has a bad connotation, and the person who said that to me, I don't think necessarily meant it that way, unless they were just being polite. Well, how did they mean it? Uh, That some people go to punchlines immediately, and I'm I'm talking about specifically in writing right now. I know that my stand-up is lacking in that regard. I haven't even seen you do stand-up. I know you haven't, but I have. So you've seen you do stand-up? I have. Okay. But continue what you were saying. Um, and uh, I, I guess what she meant was that I will take a couple sentences to do a joke or to set up a premise, whereas there are some people who will just be like, this is this. Okay. A, B, same sentence. You're taking your time. Yeah. Um, you're a time taker. <laughs> and that's what I mean by the meandering, meandering. So you hear that you're witty. I guess. Uh, I want witty. Witty implies erudite. It implies New Yorker cartoon caption. Like it's like, oh, that's quite witty. How droll! How ribald! So, what are you suggesting that I can't be that because I'm from Texas? I'm asking if that's what you think people are saying. That's what they they mean. I think that they're saying that I like to deliver comebacks and I like to make droll statements and I like being clever. Yes. That is something that I've always enjoyed doing. So you like to impress people with your brain power. Look at the things I thought of. <laughs> I put all of those thoughts into one place. Can you believe? I get <laughs> I, I get I get some sort of satisfaction uh from it's not even necessarily well. Okay, okay. I would want people to be like, "Yes, that is a clever statement." But when I know that I've made a clever statement, I get a little feather ruffly, and I think you do too. Well, I mean, like Twitter is a completely different thing than live stand-up. I'm even just talking in general conversation. In general conversation, uh, well, of course, I'm a fucking comedian. What are you talking about? What are you talking about? I was talking about me, actually. What? So. You think I do too? No, I was me. We're talking about me. You said you do too. You were talking to me. Just like there. (laughs) It's like, I do this and I get a feeling. I think you do too. Is that what you just said? I'm on first. You're on second. Oh my good God. Oh my good God. You are also on third. Good God. Great good God. I just hit a home run. Oh, I don't know what the hell's happening. Um, Okay. um, But that does correspond to writing things that are to be read. When you when it's like it's a completely different thing, I think co- comedy writing that is written to be read is always more intellectual, not as guttural. When you're hearing people speak, and you have the elements of the visually watching how they use their bodies when they speak, the Ooh, this gets us into good territory. The pitch, the tone, the speed with which they are speaking, the inflections, and all that stuff that they're speaking with, it com- it adds a completely different thing. It becomes a more it's a more visceral, guttural experience. Someone Precisely live speaking, but reading it is it's more of the head. Right. You can cross over. There are people who have this guttural like writing. You know, obviously the beatniks and you know shit like that. Or you think about like Hemingway or Kerouac or Faulkner. There's this kind of. Uh, uh, punch to the gut in a way that they write 
they're because there's obviously they're intellectual people, but there's also this thing of get it in there. What? That's uh, I totally disagree. I kind of do. Plus, I don't know what you're talking about exactly. I'm saying that like I'm saying that like so you mentioned all men from a certain era. Yeah, because yeah, I'm from an era of from a span of like thirty, forty years. Yeah, and they're all deliver a punch to the gut when they write. I feel that. Yes. There's this there's this But they don't do stand up. I'm not talking about okay. I'm not talking about them as stand up comedians. Have I'm you seen that, Hemingway's bit? I'm saying that writing is usually and and you're right, they're not stand ups. They're not stand ups. It's I have n- I've rarely seen a comedy writer in book form write things that are like that are that are guttural or visceral. So of course I'm I'm talking about people who write drama or drama but no- novelists. What about ne- Neil Pollock? I haven't read Neil Pollock. Okay. It, is it very funny and guttural? Yeah. Okay, I've never, I haven't read it. Guttural. I'm talking about visceral. It's the fucking guts. It's the fucking. I need more adjectives. Can you need you... more adjectives than guttural? Yeah. Uh, how's visceral? How's another? Emotional. Okay. Okay. Um. In the loins, fiery. Just when you're speaking. Do all these things imply masculine writer? No. Name a a female writer. I'm just curious. I'm I'm talking of speaking. I'm talking that like, those are the first people I I thought of. I know. I just want you to name one. A a female writer? Yes. That has this guttural kind of writing? Loineal. Jeanette Winterson? Okay. Jeanette Winterson is very... Loineal. It's it's in the fucking just say loineal. genitals. Will you say loineal? L- loineal? Yeah, I just made it up. Well, you know, I could say because if you have two co- loineals together, it's colonial. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, if they're working together, two loineals working together, it's colonial. Um, yeah, Jeanette Winterson is the first person I'm thinking of that just like has this like it's a, the writing is like fucking in the ugh, it's down in there. You know what I mean? All I'm saying is, the point I'm trying to make is, and we were go- I'm going on a tangent, and my, my examples obviously were awful, <laughs> is speaking engages emotionality more than reading. Agreed. Reading, you start with the totally head. Agree. I totally agree. You start with the head, and you can move to the emotionality. Yeah, no argument here. But then speaking, you have the emotionality, and you can move to the intellectual with it. It's just easier to engage the emotionality when speaking than it is when when um because when you're, you're engaging more senses. Yeah, there's more senses. It's more sensual. Sensual. <laughs> it's more sensual. Um, now I forget what the point of what I was trying to well, say was. Well, I have a point to what you're saying. Go ahead. At least somebody does. Go. Hand raised. Um the other day yeah. you told me that I was not physically funny. Did I say that? Yeah. Is that what I said or is that what you heard? That's what I heard. Oh, okay. And I probably maybe switched a word or two around, but that was almost exactly what you said. That's definitely not. You said, I don't, uh, what, are, what are the right words? I don't, my physicality, I d- you can't imagine me being funny physically. Like, I wouldn't, I'm not, comi- I'm not. That sounds more. What are more words that I can trip That over? sounds more like what I would have said. What is the difference between I don't find I you physically you funny is different than. <laughs> I can't imagine you being funny physically. Oh, it's the can't imagine part. 
Yeah. Okay. Okay. Because I'm saying I haven't seen it. One is it. One is a is a direct like this is not possible, and one's like I just haven't seen it. Okay, understood. I'm just saying based on what I've seen, I can't imagine that. Okay, because I don't. I guess I just don't think of you as a. Uh, there's no way to say this without sounding offensive. You just, you're kind of a stiff person. You're stiff. Oh yeah, you did say that too, which I took great issue with. Yes, you did because you and then you get this like now I have dancing. Look at these pictures. Here's my I, there certificate. There were no pictures I showed you about me not being. But you you got very defensive and you, you there's a lot of I was a dancer. I am a dancer in there, meaning that I know how to use my body. Is this what you're saying? What static? Two-dimensional picture. Could anyone show you to be like, look at me. I'm not stiff. Um, a fucking picture of you in the arabesque. <laughs> <laughs> you just arabesque. Look at this potty bourree, okay? Like arabesque potty bourrees, like when you do a switch leap in a tutu look, and they caught it. I took an African dance class like black in college. Swan. Here's okay. a picture of me shaking yeah. my hips. I'm just saying that like, I, I think of you as a physically stiff person. That is so weird to me. It's not, though, because you're an intellectual person. You lead with your head more than you do with your vagina. Yeah. I think of you as an intellectual person. So I think of you as, there's, what is it? It's a heart, heart, head, and the genitals. Those are like the three. Where did my heart go in all of this? You think before you feel. You think about how you feel before you feel it. Am I incorrect? I'm making guesses just on how I see you physically. Really? You, mm-hmm. you were deducing all of that. Like, yeah. if you didn't know me and you saw me walking down the street. Yes. That is so strange to me. It's not strange at all. You can tell a lot about a person by the way that they fucking hold themselves. I lead with my head, too. I think before I what feel. What do people who lead with their vagina walk like? Do they walk vagina first? Does their, like, pelvis, like, thrust out? Actually, yes, a lot of the time. <laughs> a lot of the time, that's how people, people, if they live in that, that's their their go-to place that they feel that they experience life through then they kind of lead with that a lot of the time it's unconscious sometimes this is all acting shit this Laban technique and mm. psychological gesture and i'm combining a bunch this of things this is college shit you're throwing at me mm-hmm. but i'm i'm saying that like if you think of like uh, superman right you think of an image of superman done the first thing you think of is his chest is out that's what i'm thinking of his chest is out. He leads with his chest. That's his heart, right? And if you look at Clark Kent. If you look at Woody Allen. You, or Woody Allen. He's, his head is out first. And actually, my friend just said that like that's kind of what Christopher Reeve did. He's Superman on the outside. He's Woody Allen. On the, like, it's like. But I've been told I walk pelvis first. No, I don't see you that way. Then why does my back always hurt? Probably because you're you're doing both. You're leading with your head, and your your pelvis comes out a little bit to compensate with the fact ah, that you're, you're top heavy. Hella serious about this. Okay. Yeah, I am hella serious about it. What if you walk? I am with serious your feet with it with the with the prefix from the nineties. Can 90s. you walk with your? Can you think with your feet? No. <laughs> it's always a combination of the two. Okay. Okay. I'm just saying that you're you live a little bit more in the intellectual than I think that you do. With the emotional and the genital, okay? It's not... All I'm doing right now... No, it's not a judgment. I know it's not a judgment. But you're really resistant to it. Well, yeah, I I am a little bit because I... uh, Because that's not how you see yourself. Not really, because I I live in my head all the time. So I'm like, 
you have well actually you know wait it, did it you just say you live in your head all the time believe it uh, or point not. made point believe it made. well so does everybody that's my point made no they don't everyone doesn't live in their, live in their head all they the have time. no other choice that's some people just fuck they shoot first and ask questions later some people feel and they go they go with the gut but how much of that could possibly be because i am at the age that i'm at it, I think it's a lot of, it could be a lot of different things. I'm not saying why those things are true. I'm saying that I see them as true right now. I'm sure. Past, I'm next past week the point you might be I want to rub my person. fucking puss on everything. What? You're past the point? Perhaps when you were a, a puss rubber, you you led with your fucking hips more. Before I knew better. Before you knew better. You can't go puss then first. Then you're like, you know what? I can't go puss for, for puss. <laughs> I got to think about this before I put my puss on something. So you move the puss back and you move the head forward. So that way when you approach Where's something. Where's my heart in all this? It's fucking just like, I don't know, whatever your head and your <laughs> puss want to do. I got whatever your head and your puss want to do, I'm on board. Why don't you, that's basically the heart, your heart, it's like, it's your puss and your head just fighting. Like, I'm going to do this. No, no, you shouldn't. And your heart's like, I'm fucking, whatever you guys decide. Your heart is you and your and You know your what, brain you is, guys figure it out. I'll be in my bedroom. Your heart is you. <laughs> your brain is an angel and your puss is the devil. Oh, I don't know about that. Maybe for you. This is the devil. You're saying for you, but I, I, I'm also seeing that because I think I'm similar. Okay. I never led with. I don't think I ever led with my puss first in my life, but I lead with my head because I think about shit. I consider shit. But there are a lot of people who you, you will physically notice it. Their heads are back a little bit more, and their their chests are out, or their pelvises are forward a little bit more. I think you know when you said that uh, we're totally off on a tangent. But when you said that, I was thinking about Angelina Jolie because I am—I wouldn't say envious, but I admire her um, poise, like the way her actually her her literal mm-hmm. what do you call it? Um, the way you stand. Her stature, her poise, her stature. Like what is there's the you word? Can say that her. All of those things. Poise, her gait, her alignment, her all that shit. It's all these different words for it. Poise is good. You already said that one. Okay. I already said that one. You appreciate how she holds herself. Yes. Okay. And that she keeps her back straight and her shoulders back and her chin up. Yes. Like, I, I when I think about her and also her face up just a little bit. Well, that, is, that is ideally the the way that she stands is ideally the way that you want to stand. It's the way, the way that, that Lauren you Bacall want. stands. It's the, the way, way that you want to stand. The way that stand. every woman should want to stand. You can only speak for yourself, Lisa. No, it's it's the way that every woman should want to stand. You can only speak for yourself. That's what that's what you see as an ideal. But you can't say that for all everyone. You can't say that for all everyone. You can say, like, that's the way I think women should stand. Because it's the way that you want to stand. It's the way that you want to present yourself, right? Yes, but I look more like Thelma and Scooby-Doo. Sometimes. I don't... I- I don't know about all that shit, but um, I, I I vision myself as like such a gargoyle the, the, when, when I'm hunched over my computer. The typing. thing is, though, like what 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 Angelina Jolie is doing, it is literally not literally. I won't say literally. It's figuratively. It's armor. It's protection. It's self protection. If you have that much, it's self control. It's like I have all of my feelings, my emotions, and my thoughts and my puss in. Check, son. I don't even love her. I kind of think she's a turd basket. But but um, you're talking about the way that she holds herself. Yes. You you perceive McCall, again, a woman with stature, control, poise, etc. Right. Right. Lauren McCall would be another one of those. Same thing. Right. That's very different than, uh, say, um, 
Oh my God! Why can't I remember this woman's name? All of a sudden, no more wire hangers. Joan Crawford. Joan Crawford. Yeah, has that, a different stature. Betty most, Davis has a different stature. Uh, yeah, but yeah, both of they're both kind of border a little more on the arrogant side. Although, uh, you know, everyone has pictures Betty Davis and in that in it's that just, movie. It, it all just reflects what and we Baby fucking Jane. what people think of themselves. But I think that that becomes like an iconic picture. Like early Betty Davis is exactly what I'm talking about. Like yeah, but Jezebel. she became more of the the fucking firebrand. I'm going to say what the hell I think whenever the hell I think it. I and that's what actually, people admire about that. But I I think she was she started to become typecast into that as she aged. Yeah, but that's also as with Joan Crawford. She wanted to. I think there's a little bit like you know this is pre Hollywood as we know it now. So there was it was a completely it's hard to talk about because I was, think there was a small window to be honest with you. I think there was a small window of time where Betty Davis was doing exactly what she wanted to do before she was too young and she didn't know better, and then the point where she became too old and she had to do whatever. I don't know. I think that maybe she knew herself better and wanted to do that stuff. I don't think there were a lot of options for women over 40 in Hollywood. Mm. Like she was Betty were. Davis. You know, again, this is a different Hollywood that we're talking about. It's not the Hollywood that we know today where everything is like it wasn't the corporate like a workhouse that it is now. The corporate machine that it is now. The, the, the priorities in terms of financial what they wanted to make back and what they put into things was a completely different thing. It was it literally was not an international market yet. You know what I mean? That's why it's like when people say like, "Oh, this movie made no, more but, money no, than anything those, else." But those, but those priorities have not really shifted. Yeah, so those those the priorities we have now weren't then weren't as much then because corporations and business and capitalism as we know it now is not the same as it was. It's not it wasn't the same then. But they, but those, but that morality that Hollywood, old Hollywood, had to project was still based, was still completely dependent upon what American culture at large would accept. Okay. And those are the same expectations that we have now. I think that we, uh, I don't know. That's a completely different podcast. A completely it totally different is. Debate. By the way, Joan Crawford only has that look because of her eyebrows. Are being plucked too much. Well, but the, the, what, what, Ladies, what, do what, not what we're talking about here is eyebrows. self-presentation. Okay. And you you are speaking for Betty Davis when you say that. I think she got pigeonholed. No, I'm, that. I'm actually speaking from the bit that the little bit that I know of her career. Okay. Well, I'm just saying that that's a possibility, but I don't know. I'm saying that people that the reason that whatever happened to Baby Jane is iconic is because people identified. With this woman who was a firebrand. I don't think that Betty Davis could have done that role until she was older, until she knew herself better, because it's the kind of role that you kind of have to know yourself to be able to fucking put it in someone else's face better. You can't, a 20 something who goes around telling everyone what they think is the most obnoxious thing ever. But someone in their 40s and 50s that does that is going to cut you down because they've seen some shit. Right, but that iconic baby Jane is her looking decrepit and crazy. Mm, yeah, but it, I think that that's not what people identify with. It's not like, she's crazy. I want to be crazy too. Ha <laughs> ha. It's like, no, she fucking spoke her mind in a way that people were like, ugh, I'm scared of her. What is crazy mean, bro? I don't know. I think she did that in Jezebel more. Oh, Jesus Christ. Okay. All right, so let's go back. The point is, you're seeing in Angelina Jolie how you want to see yourself. You aspire to present yourself in that way. 
and have some sort of self-control. I, I think I'm I, psychoanalyzing. I think, it's almost, I think it's almost a cartoonish poise that she has, like a little bit too perfect. But I think I think it's like Barack Obama. I very infrequently see him not have complete poise, and he has and, to. Yeah, well, that's what I'm saying for her too. Like that is. No, she doesn't have to. Angelina Jolie is the person that she takes to press and red carpet events. That's the person that has to have poise. The person in the movies is a completely different person. She has to be literally a different person. Well, every I'm not single talking role. about her in movies. Yeah, I'm talking about. You're her. talking about the presentation. You're talking about the package. I'm talking about every single time I've ever seen her on anything, not in a movie. She's very packaged. She knows how to present herself. I miss Elizabeth Taylor. Well, Lindsay Lohan is uh, bringing her back to life no. on Liz and Dick on Lifetime. Please. Um, no one can touch Elizabeth All right, Taylor. calm down. And Barack is the same thing. He has to be very, very poised because it, he's very conscious of that he's the fucking black president and that people are going to jump on the, uh, oh, angry black man, knew it, sort of thing. That's why he has to keep his fucking shit together. That's why he's no drama. Barack, no drama, right? One of his nicknames. You never heard until right now? No, 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 I have, yeah. Apparently. My point is... I was thinking how... A joke is a setup and a punchline. <laughs> <laughs> we have really not gotten into this fucking conversation much, uh, which is totally fine. These things happen. It makes me irate that you say that Lindsay Lohan is like Elizabeth Taylor, just for the record. I let's have let's say that she's like Elizabeth Taylor. Or no, that the, the joke that the two are even remotely She's playing similar. Elizabeth Taylor in the fucking movie. Yeah. I'm not saying she is Elizabeth Taylor. That was the joke. Is that like, well, she's bringing her back to life in this movie that they're okay, making. Okay, okay, okay. I missed the joke. Sorry. Yeah, you did miss that joke. And I just apologized. Oh, you fucking asshole. The, you don't need to keep attacking you me. fucking bitch-ass, punk-ass, bitch-ass punk. And scene. All right. Uh, That's weird. Why? Just because this is your podcast doesn't mean you get to end on bitch-ass punk and point at me. Um, Fingers flying in my face. I didn't say I was. Uh, well, we've it's done a lot of over. talking about jokes. Let's talk more. All I'm saying is, you are an intellectual person. You lead yes, with your interact. Interact. You. <laughs> you lead with your intellect. You <laughs> like to come off as intellectual and witty and clever. Uh, you know, I do when I write, but when I speak, it's I. I listen to myself on your podcast and other podcasts and I realize that I actually sound ditzy a lot of the time I I don't think you well I mean that's you think that I can't say that that's true not from my perspective at least I feel like I sound ditzy in that I speak slowly but I happen to know that that is the way that a lot of people from the south or Texas because you're thinking yeah I know (laughs) you're thinking about what to say and then sometimes you overthink it and then when you talk you're like oh that's not what I meant to say right right Right? Yeah, but I... Because I, I, you're in your own head? Yes. But mm. I do know that sometimes what I think is... M- this is mostly on the podcast that uh, Darcy and I have that you've been on. Me three. But I, I like... I think it's funniest when I sort of sound goofy. Yeah. I just did a Mitt Romney thumb at you. But I you think myself. it's funny when you sound goofy. That doesn't necessarily mean it is. What are you saying? I'm saying that the difference between what actually is funny and what you think might be funny, there might be a little bit more of a discrepancy than you think. Perhaps. Do you... Th- it's intention versus perception. Yeah, yeah. Do I think what? Um, have I ever done anything in your presence f- physically mm-hmm. 
that made you laugh? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, that's a bad sign. Okay, so... <laughs> okay, that's a bad sign. It is. Um, uh, what are we doing? What are we talking about? We'll put the microphone closer to your face. Okay. All right, sorry. We we were just on something and I briefly derailed it. Cause I well, you said, "Have I ever? Have you ever done anything physically in my presence that I think made that made me laugh?" Yeah, because I've been told a couple times by people that I should be more physical when I'm on stage. The, the what you do sometimes that makes me laugh is you're you're such a um, a hitter when you hug. Oh, the patting. You but it's a really hard pat. For men. No, well maybe it's just it's it's. It doesn't match how you're hugging. It's just kind of like I'm hugging you. Pat, pat. It's like it's not a. It seems completely disconnected from the hug. You should see me give a blowjob. Oh, Kidding. punching balls the entire time. <laughs> Do you like this? Ah, this isn't Rocky Three. So that's the number one thing that men have said to you when you're giving them a blowjob. This isn't Rocky Three. Yeah, oddly, I didn't know what they meant by Damn that. Damn it, now Clubber! Damn it, Clubber! <laughs> That's the name of uh, Mr. T's part. I thought T's it was because of my Russian accent. Maybe. It, oh, that's four. Sorry. Yeah, very different. How dare you? Anyway, a joke is a. Uh, <laughs> I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't give a shit about that anymore. <laughs> I've started shrinking you. Um, we need to. We, I mean, we need. We definitely need to wrap this bad boy up. I. I, I, just, I just think that. Uh, Wait, Jiro dreams of sushi. Okay. Tell me what you got to say about Jiro. How long have we been talking? We're going to cut that. You're going to cut this down so Yeah, much. but say what you got to say. Um, so when we're talking about the art of writing comedy, whether it be for stage or otherwise. Mm-hmm. It's all a discipline. It is a discipline. Mm-hmm. and A craft. We have both seen the movie, Jiro Dreams of Sushi. Yes. And it's about a Japanese sushi maker in Tokyo who is so adept at his craft that he won the Michelin... Uh, three Michelin, Michelin stars. Yeah, three Literally Michelin the stars. highest rating you can get. At the age of 85, uh, he's in the Guinness Book of World Records as the oldest person to get that rating. Mm-hmm. He has dedicated his entire life to the art of making exclusively... Exclusive... If, of exclusively making sushi. Yeah, he says he's dedicated 75 years to it. Uh-huh. And there is little implication that he left home at 10. Yeah, no, at 9, yeah, yeah. He's but you never really hear much about it. Yeah, he, and he never mentions his mom. He talks about his dad. He doesn't mention his mom. But yeah. you kind of get the idea. I mean, he was probably born in a very tumultuous time in Japan. Mm-hmm. And uh, you kind of get the impression that he just started apprenticing. Very young. Very, very young. Um... And he lives his life in such a uh, disciplined and regimented way, the whole goal of which is to make the best sushi ever. It's all he cares about. It's what he thinks about when he sleeps. It's all that he's taught either of his sons. Right. And uh, that's his singular goal in life. Right. And whenever he's not doing it, he is completely unhappy. Yes. And... I assume you wanted to, uh, me to watch this movie, which I had intended to do anyways. Yeah. Um, I don't know why I said that. You're not the boss of me. <laughs> um, because maybe you're thinking that this is how all artists should approach their craft. Not necessarily should, just that it's it's a it's a good lesson. 
to learn because the sentence that he said or the thing that he says that I really connect to is if you have chosen your profession, why wouldn't you spend every moment trying to master it? It's like it's the like it's the obvious thing to him to become the best he could possibly be. And to me, it seemed he seemed to differentiate between not just the best in general, but the best he can be. Yeah. And he and, and he acknowledged that he is never going to reach that. He oh, he believes it. And he does not. He's yeah, he's he he's, doesn't want to ever reach it. If it can be reached, but he aspires to do it. And that's the point. It's like. But it, and it's, it, a, it's a it's a lesson in work fucking ethic. Like that guy's work ethic is like that's exactly it's insurmountable. It's it's, a it's insurmountable. Mount Fuji of a, a, work ethic to use a Japanese mountain. Um, but that's why it's like I fucking am like wow. Like I I <laughs> <laughs> you turn I, into me when I have a like a fucking oh I can't figure out this joke. Well, I'll just put it over here forever. And the guy's like, no, I'm going to fucking. It's it's kind of incredible, and it makes made me think about well, what the hell it is I'm doing, how much how much actual real dedication, focus, and motivation I'm putting into what it is I do. I have so much respect for that man, and I would love to pay three hundred. Are you kidding me? Dollars to eat sushi. Eat his, his sushi? Restaurant. Yeah, fuck yeah. Ten chairs, ten chairs in motherfucker's restaurant. Yeah, yeah. Three stars. And he's like, you're going to eat this. They're like, do you have appetizers? He's like, fuck you in the face, appetizers. No. Sometimes it's like, uh, this place is just sushi. He he does something very simple, very well. If you want sushi, this is where you come. It's not like, oh, yeah, and then you can have a Coke, and you can have some edamame. We'll give you, like, some ice cream afterwards. It's not fun. Uh, also, he stands there and stares at you while you watch this. And he the- makes it. Right the moment before you eat it, mm. puts it down, and then he kind of watches you eat well, it. Well, his son, his poor, beleaguered son, makes is also the one who makes it. Well, that's the other thing. That's that the his other son, huge thing. That his me. son actually got, every time the Michelin staff has come to the restaurant to eat, they never actually got Jiro. Mm-hmm. It was always his son mm-hmm. who made the sushi, and his son earned the three stars. His son is 50, I believe. Yeah. He's and got two. Yeah, his eldest son is... Uh, Maybe, was it 50 or 60? Uh, per, or perhaps somewhere in between. Yeah. Because um, that does seem kind of old to have had a first child. No, if he's 85. 35 to have a first child in Japan, that does seem weird. Old, yeah. That's why I'm thinking he's like yeah. in his 60s because he might have been in his 20s. Mm, okay, I, I don't quite remember. Um, But either way, his youngest son branched out and started his own Japanese restaurant. The eldest son... Um, no, it's, 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 it's Jiro's restaurant, just a different name. Yeah, I know. It's like I know. a different location. But the younger son has his own restaurant. Right. The eldest son, who is you know expected to father in his father, expected to follow in his father's footstep, um, still has to has to has to work at that restaurant. Mm-hmm. He wants to, but he has to. Yeah. And uh, the other, the kind of tragic crux of the movie is that the son uh, main. When is the son ever going to get a chance to like make his own name in the world? And as the food reviewer who, on some levels, kind of, you know, guides the movie along. Yeah. Um, it doesn't matter what the son does, because the dad will always be better. He would have to be five times as better as the dad. That was actually one of the guys that apprenticed with. 
Oh, yeah, you're right. You're right. Who said that, like, his son has to be twice as good as his father to be considered an equal. And if he's exactly as good as his father, he'll never be seen as as good. Right. And as he said, the sad thing is that... He's those, the one that got the rating. Yeah, he is the one that got those ratings. He will never be acknowledged. I mean, granted, it, you know. And I'm watching the movie like, I want that sushi. Better fu- <laughs> better be fucking Jiro when I get there. <laughs> I know that much. If I, don't, if I get Jiro Jr., I'm going to punch some motherfucker. The thing that made me sad about movie, and as much as I admire this man's discipline, mm-hmm. is that he talks about what a... Not... what He wasn't a bad father. Well, he actually does say he was a bad father. Yeah, he does when, say that. Yeah. And... Um, it's hard to gauge the way the sons really feel about him because we're talking about Japan. So everything is kind of masked and you only get like the most basic of well, actual feelings. We're the West. It's all about like, man, my, my heart and my, my puss. What the fuck are you talking about? We're, 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 we're Western civilization is all about how we fucking feel about everything. I'm, I, I don't want to say this in comparison to the West. I'm just saying that like in Japan, even, that's, even, that's, even norm, in, that's more right. normal in Japan even than of, it is here. Even in and of itself, just in Japan and even in the Eastern world, Japan, comparatively to, the, to other countries in the Eastern world, Japan is all about formalities in speech, exclusively in deference to, uh, you know, elders. And so you don't even when you're they're interviewing the sons, you're never really getting a sense of how they actually feel about anything. Very true. So it's hard to necessarily say, but there is a sadness in that family. A melancholy. Mm-hmm. I would call it melancholy before sadness. And that is the price of trying to be perfect. And I would say every it's it's a beautiful thing to see and watch this person at this uh, this amazing level. Of artistry, but to what ends? Yeah, but what are you giving up? And you have to balance it. If you're giving up most of your child's children's childhood, if you're if you're just making tiny little replicants of yourself that don't get to realize their own lives at the cost of your own, if you're being so selfish about what you want, well, we see it as selfish. Again, that's a. I think that's Western. I, I don't. I don't. But I'm not even saying selfish pejoratively. Like if you're being, if your focus is so much on yourself and your goals, uh, to the detriment of the other people that you brought into this world to realize their goals, that to me, I you know it's. I don't even know if it's sad. It's just that is something that I I wouldn't necessarily consider a success. I would I would say that it's a detraction from his his successes. Hmm. And he would be like, "Go fuck yourself." And I would be like, "You first. <laughs> He'd be like, "Oh, pumice stone. What did I'd you do?" I'd be like, do "Come that? here, suck on this puss." Oh Jesus! Ain't got no teeth. Come here. Oh man! Look, he's eighty-five. I'm so glad that you took it to that place before I ended. Um. It's important for me to take it to that place. Oh, okay. <laughs> Uh, Wait, is there anything else you wanted to talk about as far as that movie goes? Nope. So uh, I, think I, I just in the I in the 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 work ethic, and I do see that what you're talking about that like he has dedicated himself to to this thing so much that he may have you know fucked up his sons, or he may have he feels like he hasn't been a good father, he feels like he hasn't been all these different things, but he has dedicated himself to something to such an extent that. All the other parts of his life have to be about that, which I if you're going to do that, then I don't see anything wrong with it. 
Um, I, I, it doesn't. I, I. Still, no, I'm just saying that I admi- I admire that amount of dedication. That's true dedication. And we talk about dedication and motivation, focus, and all that shit. But like, that's what that man has done for real, like for real. And maybe it's not all it's supposed to be. Cra- it's cracked up to be, but it's it's an interesting thing to see what that looks like, and to com- and uh, for me to compare myself to it. And just be like, well, what can I do? I can, tr- I can be better. That's all. That's all I'm taking away from it. I can be a lot better. Boom. Hopefully, you, yeah. I can find a better balance so or, you, you or something. On, you hit on the head, uh, the nail on the head. It's it's hard for me to see something like that, to watch something like that, and it could have been about. It could have been set in the Western world. It could, you know, I could be uh, listening to a podcast about Genghis Khan and hear how you know narrowly minded he was focused on his goals or whatever right and still kind of have the same but he's in the history books right and and have that same (laughs) jacob khan nothing (laughs) genghis larry khan stabbed his ass larry khan and was like i'm genghis motherfucker one day ricardo montalban will ruin my name oh jesus yeah he will continue um uh, but it, it narrow-mindedness, single-mindedness, focus. No, I mean, it, for me personally, uh, and I do this without even thinking, and I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing. But I'm, I, I can't watch something, a movie like that, and just think like, oh well, that's all good. I want to be like that. That whole thing is exactly how I want to be, and that's the paradigm of what people should aspire to. Okay, I think it's a beautiful and amazing, and the only way that humans propel themselves is to be like that on some level. Okay. But you when you lose a, a little bit of the larger picture when you're focused solely on that. And that little part of the big, bigger picture I think is what makes us more compelling as humans. Possibly. <laughs> Possibly. Um I think I can't say that I disagree with you, but I'm just saying that like that's an alternative <laughs> I'm not ju- and, and, keep him, and keep in mind I'm not judging him I wouldn't go up to him and go like hey you're a piece of shit you fucked up your sons you know no you're just saying that like for your own life and how you want to do things I, that, I, that, I, um, that, that style of narrow mindedness I have a, li- a slightly more nuanced view of that okay That's- and 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 I, I think uh, I think everyone should and that's how you write a joke <laughs> Okay, so you have a first story and a second story. The second story intersects the first story, which is the setup, punchline, structure. Your setup is going to have a story to it, and that story has an assumption, a target assumption, and that a target assumption has a connector, and that's how you flip it to turn it to the second story, and that is the setup punchline. So here's a joke by Dan Mintz that perfectly describes that uh my girlfriend is half asian her father's korean and her mother's korean and her legs were torn off in a horrible car accident so my girlfriend is half asian that's the first story oh his girlfriend's interracial you know she's half asian she's mixed race so uh the target assumption is that you think he's talking about race and the connector is the word half or the phrase half asian so 
you think he's going to say, oh, her father's Korean and her mother's a different race. That's the target assumption. But instead, he flips it to the second story, which is she was in a horrible car accident. So my girlfriend is half Asian, target assumption. He is talking about his girlfriend's race, the connector, half. Her father's Korean, her mother's Korean, and her legs were torn off in a horrible car accident. The connector half flips to the second story, which is that she was actually in a car accident, and she's half of a person. Boom. Here is a joke by Anthony Jezelnik. Uh, My ex-girlfriend had a pet bird. Did you hear what I said? My ex-girlfriend had a pet bird. That thing never shut up. The bird was cool, though. Okay, my ex-girlfriend had a pet bird. Okay, that's the first story, is that his girlfriend had a pet bird, and you think he's going to be talking about the bird, right? That's the target of something. He's going to say something about the bird. That thing never shut up is the connector. You think he's talking about the bird, but then he flips it to the second story, which is his girlfriend never shut the fuck up. And the connector in there is also the word that, the phrase that thing, because who would call a woman that thing? You would say that about a bird, wouldn't you? So that's the thing. First story, his girlfriend had a pet bird. Second story, his girlfriend is annoying. Target is something we think he's talking about the bird when he says that thing. That thing is the connector. The thing is that the thing is his girlfriend's annoyingness or her being an annoying girlfriend. Oh, Jesus. Are you confused? So am I. Thanks for listening, guys. I will talk to you soon. Thank you.